Bethel World Outreach Church. Reaching a city to touch the world. To minister to us tonight, Pastor Rice Brooks. Thank you so much. Happy New Year, everybody. Now, I'll tell you what. I would come back at midnight almost every week to just see and feel what I just felt. Between you and Debbie, I just want y'all to know, I will come back for that. I'll come back at midnight. Y'all do that? This was exceptional. And uh, Pastor James, that exhortation and that prophetic gift on you, um, not that you can't teach the Bible, but I'm just saying that you just, what we just experienced is, I'm just, I'm going to say this in a way he'll understand it. This is your LeBron moment. <laughs> and that exhortation, that in this choir and all that goes on here, there's, there's, there are better things for us. And we've gone through a lot. You know, it just takes a lot. It's, it's difficult to find chemistry. It's difficult to do what we're trying to do. Um, I, I remember that speech when Denzel tells the team on Remember the Titans, you know, he said, we're going to go play this so-and-so school. They don't, they don't deal with the problems we deal with because they were integrated. You remember the Remember the Titans? He said, but these are our issues. When you want to reach everybody and be multi-ethnic, there's, there's difficulties, there's challenges. Had them in the Bible, the book of Acts. You know, one ethnicity was being ignored, and the other one, they came, and that's when they said, man, we need to get some people to serve. But it said, if you're going to serve, you've got to be filled with spirit and filled with wisdom. This isn't just, well, I'm going to volunteer, because the people that just show up dutifully and don't have wisdom in the spirit can mess things up. Just take somebody with a bad spirit at the back. I mean, most of what happens that's going to mess us up is not just here. It's, it's things that people say that aren't sensitive and aren't filled with the spirit. So everybody's got to be filled with the spirit. Everybody's got to be filled with wisdom. Uh, it's too, it, the, the hour is too late, not just this night on New Year's Eve, but the hour is too late in 2020 for the people of God to not be uh, mature, to not have grown up, to not be sensitive, to not be able to stand in front of this culture and to give a reasonable, wise answer. We have to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. We can't just give answers we heard 50 years ago. So anyway, that's my Jim LaFoon imitation of a prophetic word. He wasn't here tonight, but that's about all I've got. Can't sing like Pastor James, and I can't prophesy like Pastor Jim. So I'm just, I'm just going to read the Bible to you tonight. Father, bless us tonight. Thank you for this house. Thank you for these people. Thank you for our leaders. Thank you for Pastor James and Debbie and this team, what they do, the way they pray, the sincerity of heart, the authenticity of commitment. Lord, you, you can overlook a, all, all of our weaknesses starting with mine, when our hearts are right. Lord, you look at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God, you look at the heart. Lord, find in us, all of us tonight, a people that just desperately want to please you. And then give us the, the direction as we go forth into this new decade to make a difference. May we, may we stand 10 years from now and look back on this moment and say we made some adjustments as we crossed over into 2020 where we decided not to make the same silly, mindless mistakes and we decided to grow up. Take your word for what it is, the word of God. Bless us as we open these words that you've given us. They're still relevant today, 2,000 years later, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I woke up with what I believe was a word from the Lord and I, so I sitting there opening my Bible, and I just thought, you know, usually uh, the, the challenge is how to really see what the Word is get to you. Somebody asked me one time, I said, are you just trying to force the Bible on people? I said, if I could bust your head open and sew it into your skull, I would do it. So, yes. Are you trying to pressure people into believing in God? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
The whole culture is pressuring them not to believe in God. Why? The little bit of pressure we're giving back? Are you kidding me? You're talking about pressure. So this is kind of like in the airplane. Reach into your seat back, and you should have this piece of paper or underneath your seat. Sorry, I probably should have, the lateness of the hour, gotten some Tootsie Rolls so that you could eat those. If Pastor James would have let them be in the house just to keep that sugar flowing in you. I'm going to have to, we'll stay close. Okay, after the, when it gets late at night, I'm going to need that kind of help, all right? Give me a little, watch me now. There we go. See, he gave me that little sneaky, little Mr. Rogers thing. See, he gave him a good one. He gave me the Mr. Rogers one right there. <laughs> like, take your shoes off and your sweater, Mr. Rogers. Here we go. <laughs> there we go. See, that's totally a Mr. Rogers vibe right there. Okay. You don't have to look at the screen. You just have to look at your, anybody not have one of these? In the, if you don't have one, lift your hand. Okay? So you don't have to find the book in the Bible. It's right here. Isn't this good? You're not impressed. Okay, let's read. We're going to start in chapter 15. Verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. People want to enter into theological debate and go, what does that mean? I don't know, but it isn't good. Whatever that is, that ain't good, Okay. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you abide in me again and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this than someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. If you did not choose me, verse 16, but I chose you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide or remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So just hold that in place, and I've got a little margin there for you to write some notes in, so you can write it on the front back. So here we go. I am the true vine, verse 1. Now... John writing here is giving us a picture of the Christian life in a context that people then would really understand. Because if you've been in Israel or if you've seen pictures, vineyards and wine and wine dressers and 
this language of I am the vine and you are the branches, that's very common. That's a very common picture. I've been in a vineyard in Israel and walked the, 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 the trestle or wherever they put the, the, the vines on, and you can see vines that are big, long branches, and you think, boy, look at that long branch. Look how, look how long it must have taken to grow, and then they come along and cut something that seems to be good. Because the further out the branch gets away from the vine, little fruit is born, little fruit is made, and it, if it is, it's not sweet. And so they cut it close, keeping it close to the vine so that it, it will bear much fruit. So he's pruning, he's cutting. But he says, I am the true vine. John, the writer, is... I think he's particularly focused on the issue of truth. Because if you say, I'm the true vine, that means there are other false vines. There are other things that you can connect to that are competition. John goes on. He says all through the Gospel of John, and I just, you know, John chapter 1, verse 9, I am the true light, or to Jesus was the true light. Uh, John 6, 32, he called him the true bread. Jesus spoke of himself, said, I am the true bread. Now, again, if there's true light, then there's false light. It says the Satan can appear as an angel of light. Satan doesn't show up in your life in a red pajamas and bad hair hanging out of his ears and blood dripping from his nose. If you saw Satan like that, then nothing he offered you would be, would be a temptation. He comes as light. That's why Jesus said, if the light that is in you is darkness... How great is the darkness? Meaning that religious deception is the greatest deception. That's why of 7 billion people on the planet, there are billions of people that are sincerely devoting themselves to what they perceive as light. But it's not the true light. It's not true bread. John 6.55, true food and true drink. His word and the spirit are true food and true drink. John 8, 14, he says, my testimony is true. Okay, we have a lot of false advertising and people making bogus claims and exaggerated claims. And uh, you wonder, is it true? Jesus said, my testimony is true. John 8, 16, he talked about true judgment. Not false judgment, not partial judgment, not, not some umpire that's supposed to call objective balls and strikes and you realize that, wait a minute, that umpire is being paid by that team. See, we're all adamant to make sure that whatever judgment we hear and the justice that's served is really true judgment. But Jesus said, look, I'm not here. I'm not on either side. You're, I'm not on this political party side or that political party side. I am God. I'm not, I'm not here to find a side. Jesus isn't up there at the right hand of the Father waving an American flag. He's not an American, much less a Democrat or Republican. True judgment. Jesus said, my God, speaking in John 17, is the true God. And that's why in John 14, 6, one of the most famous verses that we quote, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, not a truth. If he is the truth, then there is no the truth. And so the first part, just to break this down for the sake of time, I want to just divide this into three things. The things that we're called to do out of this. The things, secondly, that God says he'll do. And then thirdly, what are the consequences? What we're called to do, what he says he will do, and what are the results? The first thing he says is that there's a pruning going on. Now, we get the image from this passage that God's going to prune somehow that, and see, everybody, everybody prays, well, Lord, if you want to, if there's anything in my life that you want to remove, here I am. And so we love it with when heaven alone has the right to speak to us. But if you, re you study all of Scripture, when God's going to prune us, he usually uses circumstances and people to do it. It isn't like he just comes down personally. Many people say, well, I'm, I'm open, I'm teachable. If God himself comes down and talks to me. But when it comes in the form of your husband and wife or wife or a friend or a brother or especially somebody that you don't 
maybe like that much because God can speak to you through anyone. It says, iron sharpens iron, Proverbs 27. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth in love. That's how we grow up. You see, pruning takes place as God begins to speak to us through circumstances and begins to say there's something going on here that needs to stop. I am here today 40 years later, 41 years later from getting saved, and I haven't fouled out of the game, still married, not because of my strength. It's because I have people around me that have spoken to me things that I didn't want to hear, and God used that to prune something out of my life, something that I thought was pretty good, something that I thought was, man, well, this is my strength. And God's basically saying to me, you know what, it's, yeah, you got some strength there. Yeah, you, you, it looks pretty good, but I'm just going to cut that off. I'm going to cut that off. So he prunes us. You don't have to say amen that loud. I got one person in the choir amen in me. That's because I went back while and just told them all, please don't fall asleep. He says, you're clean because of the word. The word clean, it's interesting. Not only does God prune us, but there's even something prior to pruning because the word clean in that, in that verse where it says you were clean, verse 2, you were every branch in me, it says you were clean because of the word, verse 3. The word clean, literally, it's a, it's, a, it's a term in vineyard keeping, if you will, that refers to how the vineyard was planted. It's... To be clean means to not have any dis disabling diseases or viruses at the moment that it's planted. You see, that's why we spend a lot of time talking about foundations and what is, what's going on at the very beginning. In the book of Ephesians, it says that, you know, tells us not to be immoral, not to be ungodly. And then it says, you did not learn Christ in that way. See, how you hear, what, you, what, what gospel you hear, how you are planted if there's viruses, if there's self-interest. You see, we have a gospel in America that, yes, there's blessing in the gospel. Yes, God wants to bless you, but you know what? Before there's the blessing, there's the cross. You can't just have faith in God. There is repent and believe. Repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. You cannot turn to Christ in full faith without necessarily turning from something else. So we're leaving something out. And those viruses of, of that kind of mentality get exported around the world. I spoke several years ago in Nigeria at our wonderful church there. And I talked about the seven viruses that America has exported to Africa. And by the time something like that gets there, it's already become almost like a caricature, almost like something grotesque. And so how things are planted, how you communicate the gospel to people. I've had young men on college campuses and remember one fraternity at Washington State University. And uh, these guys heard me speak and they ran to, to get baptized like this. And as they were about to get baptized, I stopped them all. I said, now let me just let you all know before you get in the water, let me just make sure you understand that means is that when you come out of that water, you're not going back to your drugs. You're not going back to your alcohol parties. You're not going back to your immorality. Are you really? Because if we put you under the water, it's the end of what you were, and a new life is going to begin. And slowly, so I said, now look, maybe you want to go back and change back into your other clothes if you're going to live that way. But if you want to, if you want to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you everything. I was at the Florida State football team and uh, had all the coaches, all the players, and I walked in there and I said, look, every head up, every eye looking around, if you want to follow Jesus Christ, it's going to cost you everything. So if you want to do that, with everybody looking around, with their football pads on, stand up. And one of the young men that stood up that day was a guy named Franco Gennaro, who was a defensive back who's been a church planter all over, especially in Latin America. Walking down the road at University of Nebraska, and one of the guys that was there, he had, you know, you, you know you're in trouble, Pastor James, when you nickname yourself. 
He had nicknamed himself the Iceman. I said, everybody calls him the Iceman. Where'd that come from? He said, well, he thought it up. So we're walking down the walkway there at the University of Nebraska, and I could tell he was like he was doing me a favor, he thought, by hanging out with me so that I could kind of be with him. Like I was just, well, you know, if you could just come to our little Christian meeting, and, and it'd be so cool because people would think we're cool if you come. He's, I know he's thinking that. And I just stopped him, and I said, let me do something. I, I, I turned around, here's what I said to him. I said, you'll probably never be a Christian. I said, because you don't have the courage. I actually said, you don't have the guts to do it. I said, it's going to cost you more to make Jesus' team than it is this Nebraska team. You see, the message to follow Jesus, he's not following us. And, he, and every time the crowds got big enough, Jesus would turn and say, now let me, let, me, let me make this clear. If you're going to follow me, you're going to, it's going to cost you everything. You've got to love me more than anything. And it says, many, many of them withdrew and followed him no more. I remember that verse because it's John 666, not 667. I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious, as Michael Scott would say. I mean, I... I drive into Starbucks, and he said, that'll be $6.66 at the drive-thru. I say, could I get another coffee? Can I just get one? I'm just going to get another thing. When I drive up to the window, they look at me. I said, I, I, said, I don't believe. I said, but just in case. Pruning. Number two, what do we do? Abiding. Abiding is close connection. If you abide in me, that word if in that passage, these, these verses, these 16 verses, four times, if, if you abide in me, if you abide in my words. Most people are living on the memory of what they used to do for God. When I, you know, I, I photocopied this because, and I'm, my wife and I were talking today when I was going through this message this morning with her, what I was going to do, and of course, she's shaking her head. I, I, I don't know how you, it works at your house, Pastor James, but I never ask my wife how I did, ever. She looks at me, and she goes, do you want to really know? That's okay. Jack Sinner will give me some encouragement. I'll just depend on Jack. Jack will. But in the old days, we had our Bibles, and you know, you'd, you'd You'd open your Bible and you could follow along, you know, I mean, it, I mean, and there was something that happened in the interaction with the Scripture. You see, the longer, the Bible, the Bible says, the Scripture says, is that when, we, that when we are in the face, when we behold his faces in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, we're transformed into that same image. When I was young and I was real skinny, which I wish I could go back to those days, I would put a picture of some muscle guy on the, on the mirror, and I'd stare at that. And, and what you stare at, you are transformed into that image. You know, when people say, oh, my music doesn't affect the way I live, just look at the people, look at who you listen to, and watch, and you will find yourself being transformed into the image of what you behold. And so if we behold the Word, and that's why in the old days, and I'm not trying to talk about, boy, back in the good old days, I'm just saying, the Bible was the dynamic that as we sat before it and as we studied it, and you could turn to this passage and that passage, and it wasn't just something that we just kind of took in like a performance. We were sitting there in this word. We were abiding in it. Close connection. The book of Revelation says, remember from where you've fallen and Repent. The third thing is loving. In John 15, 12, he says, this is the command I give you, that you love one another. So we have to do some pruning. There's some things that have to not go across this boundary of this next year. Just like you go in the narrow door of a airline security thing. There's things, oh, I forgot I had that bottle of water. Oh, I didn't realize I had too much of this. There, you think it's hard to get into an airport, wait until you try to enter into God's purposes. There's a lot of stuff. You're going to take off your shoes, your belt. I mean, I'm taking out fillings in the airport. Okay. Anything that I'll need to get rid of to get through there because I want to go somewhere. I don't want to stay here. I want to get on that plane. 
I want to go where you want me to go. I'm not, I don't love this bottle of water that much to miss this flight of where you want me to go. If you love one another. Now, loving, so we abide, we, we, we prune. And then there's loving. You see, when you get into a vine and you are a branch, there are other branches. It's not just one. You don't just have your own little private vine. Your own personal Savior. That's, that's the mistake of the American gospel, my personal Savior. It's like my personal Jesus. No, no, he, he puts you around people of all different types. Remember the time, in fact, in the end of the book of John, they throw a net out at the very end and pull up, what is the number, 152? What is it? 153 or 152? What is it in the book of John 20, 21? Somebody, 153? 153. I, I remember my first trip to Israel, and uh, when we went to the Sea of Galilee, and that's where Jesus says it gave that specific number, 153. Fish came up out of the water at the end of Jesus, right at the end of the Gospel of John. The tour guide said, at the time of Christ, there were 153 different types of fish in the Sea of Galilee. You see, when you get caught up in a real harvest of God, you find yourself caught up in a net with a lot of fish that don't look like you. And when you get a bunch of fish together, I mean, you, you're talking about eyeball to eyeball. God compresses us together. You ever been stuck in an elevator? I've been stuck in elevators. That phone does not work in that elevator. You're wondering about that emergency phone doesn't work. And you know what you find when people get crammed in together and you add a little tension? What's in people comes out. And God wants to put us, God, that's why Jesus took 12 and got them together and then let them into storms, let them into circumstances where they could see what's in their heart. And the overarching command is love one another. Why? Because you're going to have to have that as a command because you're not going to want to do it based on your feelings. You say, well, do we have any signs? What are the signs of the times, Pastor Rice? I'll tell you the signs this passage tells us. The signs we need to be looking for that are warning signs is withering, withdrawing, wandering. We've got a lot of, as the book of Jude says, wandering stars. Because as soon as things begin to get hot, then people start wandering around. They don't want to have the tension. They want to they go to some place where nobody knows their stuff. And so what you have, especially in Nashville, is just a wandering herd of people. And they never grow up. Because unless you get into a place where you can speak the truth, you won't grow up. You'll stay the same. Yeah, well, nobody talks to me. That, well, that's fine. Then you were going to be, you were going to be uh, the fourth thing with withering, withdrawing, wandering, and just whining. You end up just complaining and whining about everybody. Those are the, those are the signs of the times. So what do we do? We love. We abide. We stay. We become connected to this word. We allow God to prune, but yet we allow the method of how we do this and help one another. Now, what does God say he will do? John 15, 9 says he will love us. Look at John 15, 9, because he not only tells us to love, but he's going to love us. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. There it is. So, so he's promised to love us. How many of you have ever disciplined your children and they think, you don't love me? No, wait a minute. Those whom he loves, he disciplines. It may not feel like he loves us. In fact, I've, there's so many people that have this mistaken sense that they're doing good because they feel good. When I, was, when I didn't know God, I felt pretty good, but I was in the worst possible state spiritually. And all of a sudden, when I came to Christ, there were times where I felt bad. It felt terrible. But I was smack dab in the will of God. Smack dab in his will. Now, see, my feelings, if you let your feelings You'll, you'll want to you'll gravitate back, just like eating the wrong food feels good. Eating the right food, doing the right thing feels terrible. Couldn't be God. 
See, our feelings will lead us astray. But he loves us. What did he do? He, cho- he chose us. Pastor James was singing it prophetically. John 15, look at verse 16. You only have one page to look at. But 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. He chose you to go through this process. Number three, God promised to send us. Look at the second half of verse 16. But I chose you and appointed you, ordained you, literally. I've ordained you that you should go and bear fruit. So we're going to, we're going to have to go to do it. You see, our goal this year is to get you so that you can cut the things off that need to be removed, learn to abide in this word, Quit running from the things that you run from. Learn to love one another. Learn to, over, learn to have a disagreement and get beyond it because most of the relationships I've got that are any significance, we had many years ago, many chances to not love one another. When, when did I meet you, Pastor Philip? When did we meet? 1982, University of Minnesota, I was speaking. He came up to me at the end of a meeting and was going to marry somebody that he shouldn't have married. He was a believer, but she was not a believer, right? Okay? His wife next to him is thanking me already for this one. This is, this is, she's amen in this moment. But I looked at Philip, and and our first meeting was me saying, you know what, that's wrong. You don't need to do that. It would have been much easier to say, well, praise the Lord, brother. Let's just pray about it. You don't pray about whether you do the will of God or not. You don't, you don't pray about whether the Bible's true or not. So let's just open our eyes and not praying now. We listen. Here it is. Now, he's a leader. He's touched the world. He's our Latin American director. Not only does he do missions here, but on his other job that he kind of moonlights, he's out changing nations. He's sending us. But we want to train you. In this day, and this as we cross over to be able to have this conversation. And then finally, what does God do? He promises that we can become his friend. He will allow us to know him. You know, C.S. Lewis in his legendary book, the, it's called Mere Christianity, and basically Mere Christianity was a series of lectures C.S. Lewis gave over the BBC during World War II because they came to him and said, we don't think the people understand What's going on? They, here we are in the fight of our life, imagining being in a war where there are bombs being dropped, and the other side is invoking the name of God. The Nazis were invoking God, claiming they were doing God's will. And here the, those in, in England were being bombarded, and you, know, the, you not just have a, a battle you're fighting, you have a psychological battle. And so C.S. Lewis, they asked him to go on the radio, and he gave a series of lectures explaining right and wrong and good and evil in a way that showed that it's obvious that this other side was wrong. This was an evil to do what they were doing. But it wasn't just them. The evil was in, it was in all of us, and we needed to repent. This is what Christianity was. Christianity doesn't just deal with the evil out there. It starts with us. And so the lectures got transcribed and became the book that we now know as mere Christianity. But C.S. Lewis said that when it comes to God... He said, let's say you take a rock. You can pick up a rock and study it. You can take it home. You can move it around. You can put it on a table. And you can study that rock when you want to. Now, if if it's an animal, if you have a, a dog or a cat or any other animal, you have to kind of watch it and study it a little bit. So if you want to get close to an animal, again, it's you initiating and understanding what that animal is like. But when you go to a person, you can't treat a person. If you want to get to know a person, you don't treat them like a rock or an animal. They're not there when you want them to be, or they're not there to be examined, or, you know, it's your own beck and call. There's something in personality that we have to decide, am I going to allow you to, to, to know me? You may follow me on Facebook or Twitter, but that doesn't mean we're friends. I remember walking with one pro athlete, we were going through a, after he came out of the tunnel uh, after the game and people were screaming his name. And I said, hey, I think it's Daryl Green. I said, Daryl, those people, he goes, they don't know me. Hey, Green. 
I, I, you know, just because they'd seen him play, they thought that that just gave them some, and he was just ignoring them. Jesus said, many will say to me, Lord, you know, hey, did, did, you know, I, I watched you, Jesus. And Jesus said, I never knew you. Just because you saw me doesn't mean I know you. But when it comes to God, C.S. Lewis said, it's even more difficult than a person, human. Because unless God initiates the relationship, you won't get to know him. If, unless God does the initiation, so you're not, he's not a rock you can pick up. People want to study God like I can just study him like, you know, well, why didn't God just, well, you know, you know, you'll know there's something there, but you'll never know him unless he chooses to reveal himself to you. Now, the consequences of this, as we begin to do what we're called to do and God begins to do what he says he will do, here are the consequences. Number one is friendship. John, James chapter 4, verse 8, you can write that in the margin. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's a, it's a mystery. But as you draw near to God, as you draw near to his word, as we come into a time of fasting and prayer, easiest thing in the world is to ignore that. Easiest thing in the world is to just say, well, that's just religious stuff. I don't but you know what? It's really us as a people drawing near to him and saying, God, no, 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 no. This isn't, we're not doing this just so that other people will think we're spiritual. We want to know you. I want to know you. Friendship. I don't call you servants. I call you friends. There's a song years ago written called I Am a Friend of God, and I was there the day the guy wrote that song. It's a guy named Israel, and he was in one of our conferences, and Pastor Jim LaFoon was preaching on friendship with God. And he's sitting there over there writing down, I am a, writing the words. But we can sing, I am a friend of God, but that isn't going to make you a friend of God just by singing a song. Number two, you know his will. John 15, 15, look at this. This is the consequence of this. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I've heard from my father I have made known to you. You see, as we draw near to him, all of a sudden he begins to explain his will to us. I mean, Jesus talked to the most unlikely people and told them who he was. He told a woman with five husbands and living with somebody that she wasn't even married to, she, he said, I'm the Messiah. Why would Jesus reveal himself to someone like that, but to the religiously proper, he would say, I'm not telling you anything. I'm not saying a thing. Because God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance. Number three, we bear fruit. John 15, 5, look at this one. It says, I am the true vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. You see, that verse that says, apart from me you can do nothing, that's one verse that sadly too many Christians are fulfilling. Doing nothing. But doing nothing is, and having no fruit is the evidence of this disconnect. Because spiritual strength and spiritual shallowness cannot be hidden very long. Bearing fruit, much fruit. You see, bearing fruit is just as you abide in him, as you're getting connected, it's, it's, a, it's amazing how that it just spills out of you. Ministry spills out of you. Love spills out of you. Joy spills out of you. So we get friendship. What, look at what we have waiting for us. Friendship, knowing God's will, bearing fruit. Then number four, he says, you can ask me anything. Look at John. Now, I want you to notice this. This is the most important thing I think I'm going to say tonight. Look at John 15, 7, and notice this connection. We're going to go John verse 7 and verse 8. I'm going to read it till you get it. I'm going to trust Pastor James to tell me if you think everybody's gotten it. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Oh, I want to be in the NBA. Well, wait a minute. That's probably evidence that you're not in this word very much. Because as you become 
filled with his word and, and the word becomes your focus, then now your requests become more in line with what God's will obviously is revealed in, in the word to be. And so if you abide in me, my words abide in you, ask what you will. See, now he's trusting you. Just like as your kids grow up, they're not going to ask you something crazy. As they mature, you know that whatever your children ask you, especially as they get older, they're going to ask you something that is a sincere, sober request that has long-term meaning that's significant. You're not asking you for just something outlandish. But notice the next verse. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Ask whatever you wish. Next verse. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Now look, look at verse 16. You did not cho choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So he says, ask what you will, and then he gives you a clue. Hey, now, my father's glorified by you bearing fruit. He says it twice. In other words, when Solomon was asked, or Solomon was told, you can get anything you want, Solomon in the Old Testament asked for wisdom. But according to what I read here, the real request he's giving us the hint twice to ask for is that we would be fruitful. In other words, when, when you are desperate, when you are desperate to bear fruit, and that becomes your genuine request, God, make me fruitful. Lord, whatever is in my life that's stopping someone from seeing you or being able to hear what I have to say, if I'm, if I'm way too hyper-religious, if I don't use wisdom, I mean, I see a lot of very sincere people that God can't use because their demeanor, they, they think that they're going to have a relationship like this with people where they're going to carry a pulpit around and that person who's an unbeliever is going to listen to them like you're listening to me. I don't carry this, I don't, this, I don't show up at Starbucks with this. I don't do that. I, I, have to, I have to do like you do. I have to interact and listen and be concerned and many times invest in someone's life and, make, and add value to them, as John Maxwell says, before they'll ever listen to me. It's painstaking, it's hard to serve and to love and to be able to say, if we're going to reach Antioch, Pastor Will, then we got to get out there and serve that community. It isn't just having a meeting, it's being out there and connecting with anybody, or if it's Bellevue or whatever it's going to be, or whatever city we're thinking or campus, we have to serve. And that takes a lot of effort. We don't have time for that. Asking for fruit. Asking, do you see that? Let me read it one more time. And if you don't get it, I'll just keep going because I'm going to land the plane. If anyone, okay, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Wait a minute. You just told me to ask for whatever, but then you give me the clue that what really glorifies you is fruit. Look at verse 16 again. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide or remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I was doing an outreach starting a church in Australia several years ago. Pastor John Rohr was with me. Four weeks of meetings during the month of June. It's winter there. It's summer here. We're down in the middle of the cold. Speaking for two straight weeks, nobody's showing up. I was freezing. Everything in my head was telling me just Forget it. Throw in the towel. This was a dumb mistake. You missed God. I remember one night I rolled up my pants legs and I filled the bathtub up with water. It was about 3 in the morning and I just stood in the hot water with my pajama like this crying out to God for fruit. God, do something. Touch this place. And in the next two weeks, we baptized 200 people. I don't, know how it, I don't know how it happened. I don't know how it happened. But crying out for fruit. I've got a friend named James Tour. If you look up on YouTube, James Tour, T-O-U-R. He's voted one of the top 50 minds in the world. R&D inventor of the year. Um, did his postdoc at Harvard, teacher at Harvard, 
He teaches synthetic or chemistry at Rice University. I get a text from him probably at least once a week because we're friends. I have never met someone who cries out for souls like this. He cries out for fruit. And he, it, it's almost as if he's, and you read these texts. I'm going to bring it. We're, Pastor James and I are going to bring him here. You, he's a Jewish believer. I have, never met, I have never met anyone yet that matches his passion for souls. And that's why every week he sends me an email. I've got, I'll just show them to you. For, for weeks, it'll say this week. And every week he has a Bible study, a small group, and he leads someone to Christ. And it's usually some doctoral student, postdoc, graduate assistant, another professor, Nobel Prize winner. But it isn't because how smart he is. He says, I'm going to tell you what it is. He says, I'm crying out for fruit. I'm crying out. Stand to your feet. We're going to stop. The final thing that the consequence is is that your joy will be full. There is no joy like the joy of being in his will, of being in friendship with him, of not having to hang our head in shame. Now, years, years I've talked to businessmen, they go, well, I just, I just wish I could do more for God. And I look at him and I say, well, why don't you do more for God? Why don't you stop saying that? Aren't you tired? Is that just a, is that just a pastor talk line where you go, well, I wish I did more for God? You don't have to hang your head in shame. There are businessmen and businesswomen that are, are putting many ministers to shame because of their passion for the word, passion for the kingdom. You know, one day we're going to stand before God. The life will be over. We're going to wish we did more. We're going to be, we're going to be, we're, we're going to be standing in that line coming into eternity. And it's going to be like, you know, tax season. You know, we, the end of the year, you, the church sends you, and you go, I, I, I thought I did more here. Well, didn't I give a ham? I mean, y'all must have made a mistake. You know, it's funny how we overestimate what we've done. But if we understand the kingdom and understand eternity, we'd be lining up to talk to Pastor James and what can I do? What do we need? How can I think with you? How It isn't just us up here trying to coerce something out of you. We're here to equip you. Father, I thank you for the joy that you want to pour into the lives of every person. Lord, the people that are here at midnight on a New Year's Eve, they love you. This message is for those that aren't here probably. Everybody here is here because they are drawing near to you. Those that are so faithful in this house that come and they're you, listen, I, I'm just wanting to underscore while you're in an attitude of prayer. I'm, I normally end up talking to the people that are not here, hoping that maybe they're listening. But, it, but, it, but more than anything, it's that those whom he loves, he chastens. And so we hear this sometimes as if it's talking to us. When the disciples heard Jesus say, one of you will betray me, they, they got scared and they said, was it me? See, when your heart's right with God, you're the first one to check, is this, is this, is this me? The one that was intending to betray was the one that had the unfounded confidence and seemingly just uh, unmoved by Jesus' warnings. So thank you, Lord, for these precious ones that are here. And Lord, I pray that as we step into this next season, that you would take this group of people, those that are drawing near to you, and you would teach us, teach us how to abide in this word and how to lovingly help one another. Let us not withdraw when relational conflict comes. Let that not be our sign that you want us to go to another church. And Lord, if somebody's here from another church and they're experiencing relational difficulty, Lord, help them to go back with a fresh vision of sorting things out and working through things. And Lord, on the other side of that can be something far greater than just some casual church friendship.
can be a covenant relationship, a lifelong relationship. Lord, thank you for thank you for this that you promised. You said you've chosen us and appointed us to go and bear fruit. Lord, we have to go to bear the fruit. Lord, you have appointed all of us. Lord, may we go back tonight into these places you have us living and let us begin to strategize. Let your spirit speak to us about what we can do, about what our neighbors need and how we can serve them. Lord, let this not just be something from the pulpit that we're constantly saying. Let this mindset come from every household and every business. Lord, let every business and let every household, let every student room, let it in dorm room, let them become mission centers where strategy is happening, where, where, you're, where your people are thinking about what to do to change the world around them. And Lord, I thank you that you promised that if we would ask for anything, that you would do it. And so, Lord, we ask tonight for fruitfulness. Lord, our great request coming into 2020 is not just to lose weight. It's not just to get uh, more business contacts. Lord, make us fruitful. And Lord, I believe if we'll desperately cry out for fruit and seek the kingdom first, that every other thing that we could have asked for will be added. So let's just lift our hands for just a minute. Just begin to lift your hands and just begin to lift your voice and say, Lord, I am asking tonight that you would make me fruitful tonight. Lord, whatever's inside of me, whatever I'm doing that's making me a hindrance or a stumbling block, Lord, remove it. And Lord, I'm praying that you would cause us to become as you. If you love us, Lord, thank you for cutting away things that are making us unfruitful. Lord, we, we put everything on the table today. We just want to see the city one for Christ. We want to see neighbors one for Christ. We want to see family members finally cross that line of faith. Lord, make this year, make this decade a decade where we don't just talk about what's coming, but we walk in and experience it. And Lord, fill us tonight as we, as we do what we are called to do. You promised you would do certain things. And so we, we thank you for it. We thank you for choosing us and loving us and sending us and not giving up on us. And Lord, pruning us. Lord, thank you for helping us to take away the things that are stopping you from being our friend. We don't want to just be servants. We want to be friends. If you've watched this message and you want to make Jesus Lord of your life, I've got good news. You can do it right now. I want you to pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life for the rest of my life. I acknowledge I am a sinner. I need you, my Savior. I believe you died for me. I believe you were raised from the dead on the third day. And I confess that you are now Lord of my life. If you've just prayed that prayer, I have good news for you. You have eternal life. The next step for you is to get in a Bible-believing church. We volunteer to be that church. But if not us, we pray God's blessings on you as you search for God's best for you. Thank you. Bethel World Outreach Church. Reaching a city to touch the world.